following audio is from St Nick's Durham. As a church, we exist to love God, love people and love Durham. We hope that this sermon will serve you well as a supplement to your regular Bible reading, prayer and participation in your local church. For more information about St Nick's Durham, directions or resources, please visit stnicks.org.uk. The reading this evening is taken from the Gospel of John, chapter 11, verses 17 to 37. That's John, chapter 11, verses 17 to 37. Jesus comforts the sisters. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Before Tom comes to uh, speak to us, we will pray for him. Lord, we pray uh, for Tom as he brings your word to us this evening. We pray that you are with him and give him words for each of us to hear. We pray that each of us would be open to receive the message that you have for us this evening. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Well, good evening, guys. Great to be with you all. For those of you who don't know me yet, my name is Tom. I'm a member of the congregation here at Nix, and it's such a joy to be bringing God's word to you today. Let's pray. Loving Father, we thank you 
that your word brings us life and hope, that your spirit is drawing us close to you. We pray for open hearts and open minds as we read your word this evening and the good news it brings. Help us to see you tonight through your Son, our Saviour and our God. In his name we pray. Amen. On Tuesday morning earlier this week, I had the rather unfortunate task of attending a funeral at Nick's, a funeral for a lady called Muriel. Didn't actually know Muriel at all, I knew next to nothing about her life. I was only there at the funeral to help with the tech, and yet, as I'm sure all of us would have found, taking part even as an onlooker, bearing witness to Muriel's family and friends mourning at her loss, left me deeply moved. It was a strange and almost uncomfortable feeling, watching others grieve. I was struck at the difference between their visible sadness and my kind of stoic, I'm doing my job persona. There were tears, there was crying, of course, but there was also a whole lot of something else, a whole lot of hope. It started as, as soon as the coffin came into church, carried to the words from Lamentations, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. It continued in the touching tributes paid by Muriel's family in the reminder of her past and future life with God by Claire, Claire Elwood, and in the closing song of Amazing Grace, with lyrics like this, "'Twas grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace that leads me home." Hope stood out like a sore thumb that morning. It moved against the tide of grief and sadness, it enabled the people gathered inside our church, even all having to wear masks and sit two metres apart, to mourn together, where mourning was not the end goal, but a life beyond death, a life which is eternal, was promised. It was a kind of powerful experience to witness as an onlooker. In the context of grief, in the middle of all that pain the family and loved ones were feeling, new life was proclaimed and hope clung onto. That was Muriel's funeral on Tuesday. And as I was walking back from church, I realized that in our passage tonight, Jesus is also speaking into that same place, into that context of grief and sadness. In this case, the death of his close friend, Lazarus. And we're hit with its reality right at the start of our reading, aren't we? Jesus turns up, but Lazarus has already been dead for days. He's missed his chance. The story's finished. You can switch over and watch the news now. It's the end. But Jesus, who's just turned up, isn't finished. In that moment of grief, of hopelessness, Jesus turns the usual story of life around. He declares, I am the resurrection and the life. And then he goes, well... Actually, no, I'm not going to spoil it now for you, don't worry, I need to keep you on your toes. But it's dramatic, it's moving, it's amazing. And John narrates to us this story in three smaller sections that I want to look at with you all. Beginning with verses 17 to 27, where Jesus firstly reveals this profound truth about himself. Sound alright? Let's get going. 
Now, for those of you who have been with us over the past few weeks and haven't forgotten our services already, you'll know that we've been exploring the statements that Jesus makes in John's Gospel that define his divinity and his relationship with God. The I am statements, all of them powerful, all of them wonderful images of Jesus's character. And so far we've heard of Jesus describing himself as bread, as light, as the door and the good shepherd. If you've missed any of them, please go check them out on our website. But the I am statement on the floor tonight, I am the resurrection and the life, which Jesus says in verse 25, is altogether different because it is altogether literal. I mean, fortunately for many of us, including myself, you don't need a theology degree to work out that in almost all of Jesus's I am statements, he's making metaphorical descriptions of himself. I mean, he's not literally a loaf of Hovis bread or the latest LED bulb to light up your living room. He's not a door made out of hand-carved solid oak or a shepherd with a nicely placed tea towel wrapped around his head. These statements instead point us to Jesus' divine character, to his identity as our provider, as a light in dark places, as the way we access the Father and the voice of guidance in our lives, even laying down his life so that we can live abundantly. But when Jesus called himself the resurrection and the life in our passage this evening, it was not meant metaphorically at all. Resurrection is not imagined, it's real. The word in Greek, which I'm definitely gonna pronounce wrong by the way, is anastasis, literally getting up, a physical getting up from death to life. And that means two very big things for us. Firstly, death is real. It may seem unnecessary to say, but it's kind of important. We see this in our passage. Lazarus is definitely dead. I mean, a bit earlier on in John 11, the disciples mistake Jesus's words by thinking Lazarus is sleeping. And Jesus, I just love his brute honesty here, just says plainly in verse 14, guys, Lazarus is dead. Death is real and that's what makes it painful, a reality we will all face and we all face now when those most close to us pass away. Martha's feeling that grief when in verse 21 she sobs to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She's almost questioning Jesus' love. If you had got here sooner, if you cared more, things would now be different. Death is real. But big thing number two, resurrection anastasis means that death is not the end. There is literal new life to come. Jesus explains this in verse 23, Martha, your brother will rise again. But she seems to think Jesus is talking about something in the future. Oh, no, 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 no. Jesus is talking about today. Why? Because he is resurrection himself. He is the bringer of life from death. And he proves it moments later when he brings Lazarus out from his grave. That, that is a spoiler, I'm sorry. <laughs> and then he proves it again, as we all know, when he himself is resurrected after dying on the cross. Jesus as the resurrected son of God is the literal new and eternal life we can all know if we choose to believe and trust in him. 
He brings the reality of resurrection, the getting up from literal death to literal life, from the future into today. It means we don't have to keep our fingers crossed throughout our lives, trying to earn the way, wondering if we might experience such a reality. To know Jesus in your life personally today is the hope and the promise that we will be resurrected for the life to come. I am the resurrection and the life. Why? As Martha so brilliantly then responds in verse 27, because Lord, you are the Christ, the son of God, who's coming into the world. Let's move on to our next section, verses 28 to 37. Jesus has just revealed himself yet again as the divine son of God using this I am statement. But now he reveals to us his humanity. We see in these verses, Martha running to her sister, Mary, telling her, the teacher's calling you. Mary runs out to meet Jesus. All of this way before Jesus has even arrived at the tomb. And she repeats word for word what her sister said moments earlier. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. It's another question, a challenge of Jesus's love. The second of three in our passage, in fact. The next one comes in verse 37 from the crowd. Could not Jesus, who opened the eyes of the blind man, also have kept this man from dying? I think we often do this too, don't we? Questioning God, don't you love me? Don't you care for me? Aren't you with me? When life seems to be heading in the wrong direction. I finished reading for the third time a couple of weeks ago, C.S. Lewis's book, A Grief Observed, a simply numbing reflection of the time Lewis lost his wife, Joy, in 1960. The book is an honest and raw outpouring of grief, of pain and loss, confusion and anger at why this had happened, where God was in the middle of all that, and what Lewis could now hope for. It's an emotional read, but also deeply encouraging. And one of the most encouraging and profound moments for me is when Lewis writes these words, in my grief, in my life, I need Christ, not just something that resembles him. Lewis was seeking Jesus, the real Jesus, to be with him in his pain. And Jesus shows that compassion when encountering those in our passage who are also grieving and struggling. He sees their grief, but he doesn't do the stoic, I'm doing my job persona like I did. He does something else. He weeps. This is the shortest verse in the Bible, John 11:35. Jesus wept. I could probably write a whole other sermon just on these two words, but I'll keep you from suffering my boredom any longer. Jesus weeping is not just significant in that it shows his compassion and empathy. He grieves with those around him as he grieves for his friend. But it's significant that when the end goal is resurrection, spoiler alert again, that the need for grief is there at all. I often used to wonder whether Jesus was playing some kind of elaborate game here. Come late to find Lazarus dead, weep a little bit alongside his friends, but then amaze everyone with the big reveal to bring Lazarus back to life. Surprise! But as our passage says in verses 33 and 38, actually, Jesus was deeply moved. The Greek verb, which I'm just not going to pronounce for your sake, literally means to be agitated to be discomforted, 
One commentator suggests it's like the feeling of endless stomach cramps, which are not fun. Have you ever woken up in the middle of the night with them? Oh, painful. The twisting and crunching of your muscles into, bru into bruising knots. This is very real pain and grief that Jesus is experiencing. The same grief as Mary and Martha too. But why? In the full knowledge of the fact that he's about to make Lazarus live again. Why does Jesus give space for them to grieve at all? I think it offers three things for us to take away. Firstly, the promise of an eternal resurrected life with Jesus is not a removal van for all our pain and struggle today. Life can bring challenge. Maybe some of you are in the midst of that today, big or small. I mean, our whole world is staring death in the face at the moment with the tragedy of, of coronavirus, where so many thousands of people are unnecessarily losing their lives. Knowing that Jesus wept is the permission to weep and lament ourselves. You don't have to present only the good stuff to him. Because, takeaway number two, Jesus is right there with you. He's in the middle of that struggle, sharing in your pain. Psalm 73 says, though my flesh and my heart may fail, God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Two amazing friends of mine who were due to get married a couple of weeks ago have been recently going through a very difficult breakup and it's been heart-wrenching to share in their pain. But every time I'm on a long late night phone call with either one of them, giving them space to talk through all that's going on, they keep reminding themselves and me over and over and over again, almost over killing it sometimes, that Jesus is right there with them in that moment. It means that they thoroughly depend on him, spend time with him in prayer, fall on him confidently as their strength and trust that he's still got good plans for them both. They show me in that what it means to live the life of being a disciple to deepen our faith in Jesus so that whatever you might be going through yourself at the moment, big or small, good or bad, having a personal relationship with Jesus is one where we can open our hearts and let him in. Because finally, point number three, as Jesus is the resurrection and the life, the coming of the new kingdom where there will be no more tears, no more mourning, crying or pain, we have a future and a hope in him that we should cling faithfully onto today. Just as Jesus is there in the realness of our pain, there holding us up when we can't do it ourselves. He died on the cross and rose again so that we can have an eternal relationship with him that not even death can claim back. That's the hope that was celebrated at Muriel's funeral on Tuesday. And that's what our passage is teaching us this evening, friends. Jesus is our hope. He's our living hope. In all the ups and all the downs, standing firm against the tide to bring us and the whole world to know his love, to take us from death to everlasting life. Life life, eternal life, abundant life.
the I am statements we've explored together so far in John's gospel point us towards Jesus. But in doing so, they also point us to what it means to have a life in him. A life that's nourished by Jesus daily as our spiritual bread. We can do this in prayer, can't we? In reading his word. A life that comforts us as light shining in darkness. What are you finding difficult at the moment that you can bring before him? A life that is made abundant and accessible through Jesus' access to the Father. How do you think we as a church could share that good news more with others? A life where just as sheep depend on their good shepherd, we can too hear his voice. Do you remember Maeve's encouragement to us last week to stop and to ask the Holy Spirit to speak, drawing us close? And a life in our passage this evening that we've seen through Jesus is a life one for you forever. Jesus is the bringer of all of that life, that life of a disciple, a follower of him. And in the third section of this dramatic and moving and amazing story, verses 38 to 44, he does just that, raising Lazarus with a shout, Lazarus, come out. I know these verses sit outside of our reading today for some odd reason, but I just love them. We see yet more resisting from Martha, but now of the slightly funny nasal capacity. Lord, it is really going to stink. Lazarus has been dead for days. There's a whiff of doubt in the air for the abundant and eternal life Jesus is there to bring. I can still remember the first time I did healing on the streets, going around, telling people about Jesus, so convinced that despite how much I'd seen God's love transform people, including myself, he wouldn't bother showing up that day. So convinced that I, I ran inside the church and sat in the toilets for 45 minutes, too scared to show my face. Jesus responded to me as he responds to Martha in verse 40, my favourite verse of them all, by which we come to the end. Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? You see, friends, in our passage tonight, Jesus has been revealing his glory all the way through, revealed in his power and his victory over death, a promise of the literal resurrection we can all know if we believe in him as our saviour. Secondly, revealed in his compassion and mercy, in weeping alongside his friends, encouraging us to open our lives to him, even with all that mess and doubt we'd prefer to hide because he is full of love and grace. And thirdly, revealed in bringing life to Lazarus, yes, but because of his resurrection after dying on the cross for each and every one of you, the abundant and eternal life as a disciple on offer is not just brought through Jesus, it is Jesus himself. I am the resurrection and the life. Do you want the life he's giving? To know Jesus, guys, is to have that life yourself, the life of a child of God. And maybe you're there already tonight. Maybe you're there, but you want a part of your life, perhaps your work, home, 
prayer, money, your attitude to justice, your friendships, whatever it may be, to reflect Jesus more. Or maybe you're not there at all just yet, and, and that's fine. Jesus is calling us all by name, just as he called Lazarus. Come out. I love you. Where do you need my grace today? For we and our whole world need Christ and not just something that resembles him. He is life. He's our living hope for this day now and for days eternal. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. Thank you for listening to the St. Nick's Durham podcast. If you would like to hear more sermons and teaching like this, then subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about St. Nick's, visit our website at stnicks.org.uk.